Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise offering today? Wow. All right, you can have a seat. Uh, we're so glad that you are here. This is the third of five services that we're doing. So Merry Christmas to all of you who are here in the blue seats. Merry Christmas to those who are watching online. We are glad to have you with us uh, today, those out in the great room, those in the hangar. Uh, we're, just, we're just glad to have you uh, with us today on this, uh, yeah, joyous day of celebration. Um, so a couple things I just wanna share before I jump into the message. Um, one is the schedule that we're gonna have over the next few weeks, because it's gonna be a little different. So, uh, so we're having our five Christmas Eve services. We will not be meeting on the 26th, so we will not be meeting this Sunday. So make sure that you make note of that. And then on the 2nd of January, our first service in the new year is actually gonna be an online-only service. And the reason that that is is because uh, for about the next two weeks or so, it's actually almost a three-week process, we're gonna be tearing up the front of all this and kind of redoing the front of our sanctuary. It's all part of our renovate campaign. And it's gonna take a while to do that. So we're gonna be online only for the second. And then for the ninth, uh, we won't still be able to be in the sanctuary here, but we're gonna create a number of different worship venues in the building so that we can be in person. So we'll have one in the hangar and one in the lobby, one in the great room. Kids will be able to be in their space. It'll be fun. It'll be different. And uh, it'll be just neat to, to gather. And then on the 16th, we'll be back in this space uh, with everything done. So we're excited about all that. Thank you for all your support of that. And uh, so that's the schedule for the next few weeks. The other thing I just want to say is we're going to end the service today, which we weren't able to do last year, with our candle lighting uh, service. And and so, again, just a couple of things to remind you of uh, to make sure we don't burn the building down and you don't burn your neighbor. Um, one is that if your candle's lit, keep it uh, upright, and uh, that's the safest thing to do, and that will make sure that we don't get uh, uh, wax on everything and the people coming in next to you sit down in that. So just if your candle's lit, keep it straight, and if uh, the person who has the unlit candle, let them come in this way and light uh, that candle. If we do that... Uh, it'll be awesome, and we'll have uh, an incredible candle lighting service. That's going to happen at the end of the service. We won't like announce it. It'll just kind of start happening. You'll know when that takes place, and it'll be amazing as it is every year. All right, so today we're looking at probably the most famous of all of the Christmas texts, right? So uh, there's lots of different uh, texts that you can go to in the Gospels and reflect on the incarnation. But we've been doing a study in the book of Luke. And so it just seemed natural for us to look at Luke 2, which again is probably the, the story of the birth of Christ that's most familiar to most people, probably most familiar to you. And um, it starts this way, first uh, verse, chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lineage of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Luke starts out by reminding us of two things. 
first of all, he starts by reminding us that this is a real story. Like this is not a fairy tale. This is a real, real story. This took place. He doesn't begin by saying, once upon a time in a town far, far away, this happened. He's like not trying to like tell us a cute story that has some spiritual kind of application. He's saying, no, 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 this happened. He's saying, and he's even giving a reference point. He's saying, remember that annoying census that Caesar Augustus did when we all had to go back to our hometowns and it was a real pain and it cost a lot of money and it was hard on all of us and Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Like, you remember all that? That is when all of this I'm about to tell you, that's when this took place. This is not a fairy tale. This is a real story and I was an eyewitness to it. The second thing is that Luke goes to great efforts to remind us of how poor and under-resourced the family that Jesus was born into was. When Jesus gets to Bethlehem, he doesn't even have the money or the clout or the connections to get a room for his wife who is about to have a baby. Now, I know the text says there was no room for them in the inn, but I know you all, and I know you're networkers and all of that, and you know if you know the right people, if you have the right influence, if you have the right clout, there is always room in the inn. Like, there is always something that can be done. If you know the right person to call, the right person to connect. So Joseph, <coughs> he doesn't have the money, he doesn't have the clout, he doesn't have the connections, he doesn't have the resources. And so Mary has to give birth to her baby in a stable, and puts Jesus in a feed trough rather than a crib. Now, I've seen a lot of lists of couples who had babies and like what they want. Feed trough is not on any of them. Like that's not what's on any of them, but that's where they have to put Jesus. It's probably not helpful that we've created such a sentimental version of this event with nativity scenes that are filled with uh, smiling cows, no kidding, I saw a nativity scene where the cows were smiling. You could see the teeth on the cows. And it's probably not helpful that we have all these sentimental kind of versions of the nativity scene with cows that are smiling and backlit, backlit mangers and, and, uh, and everyone looks angelic, even the sheep look angelic because this was a brutal scene. A baby is coming, they don't have a place to stay, the whole family is rejected, and they find themselves in this disgusting, disgusting stable. It's a reminder that Jesus didn't enter the world in a palace filled with privilege. He entered the world in a stable facing profound rejection. And the circumstances, here's what's interesting, the circumstances of his birth give us a glimpse of what is to come in his life and his ministry. Here he's placed in a wooden feed trough. Later he'll be nailed to a wooden cross. Here he's wrapped in an old piece, old pieces of, of cloth. Later his clothes will be taken and gambled away at the foot of that cross. Here he's rejected by an innkeeper. Later he'll be rejected by everyone. And in a very real sense, like that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not about gifts. It's about the gift, the gift of a savior, the gift of of a redeemer, the gift of the one that we sing about when we come together, a gift that was rejected so that we could be accepted, a gift that was found no room in the end so that we could experience Emmanuel, so that we could experience God with us. So how do we respond to this gift, right? Like that's the question. And you see that in the second half 
of Luke's story. And it's kind of a big chunk, but it's like the heart of Luke's story. And so I ask you if you just would stand together and we're gonna, I'm gonna read this, but just in honor of the text and on Christmas, let's stand together as I read it. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men upon whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard that from the shepherds were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, uh, I want to just kind of unpack that familiar story because I think it reminds us of three ways that we respond to this amazing, amazing gift that God has given us. The first is this. I think we respond to the gift by paying attention to ordinary stuff. Just paying attention to the ordinary. Verse 20 says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which are things they had heard and seen from the angels, um, which is just as they had been told. And then verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word, talking about the shepherds, they spread the word concerning what they had been told by the angels about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So don't, don't miss what's going on here. The shepherds hear about Jesus from the angel. The, everyone else hears about Jesus from the shepherds. So the shepherds get the angel Everyone else gets the shepherds, including us. Like that's the, that's the declaration of the gospel. The shepherds got the angel, but everyone else got the shepherds. Now, it's easy to pay attention, right, to an angel, right? An angel demands your attention. An angel causes you to stop whatever it is that you're doing and pay attention and listen. But it's easy to ignore a shepherd. Like shepherds don't demand our attention. Shepherds are ordinary. Shepherds are just there. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to our relationship with God, most of us want to hear from an angel, right? We want something flashy. We want something showy. We want something that we can say we experienced, and there is no doubt this was from God because of how big it was or how spectacular it was, like, like there is no doubt this is from God. And sometimes God does that. He, he speaks to us in big ways and showy ways and, and shows up and shows off and, and he just sometimes does that. But 
Most of the, most of the time, that's not usually the way Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us in ordinary ways that are so easy to ignore. See, you can ignore, it's hard to ignore the spectacular, but the ordinary, a little easier to ignore. Jesus comes to us in the ordinariness of the daily reading of his word. What's more ordinary than the daily reading of God's word? And yet how easy is it, even for me, how easy is it to get in to the pace of what's going on and all the things, especially in a season like we're in right now, and just kind of ignore God's word and everything that God wants to say to us through his word. He comes to us in the ordinariness of God's word. He comes to us in the ordinariness of a, of a simple conversation with someone that God uses to speak to our heart. He comes to us in the ordinariness of a sermon. I've heard a thousand sermons, and yet sometimes in the midst of the ordinariness of a sermon, God speaks. He comes to us in the midst of the ordinariness of a Bible study when a few people get together and open God's word and share with each other what they see in that and just these ordinary things that sometimes are so easy to ignore, he shows up. He comes to us in the ordinariness of simple little acts of kindness, of, of, of acts of grace, of acts of love. And the reason it's so important to realize that Jesus oftentimes shows up in these ordinary ways is because if we're not careful, we will get so caught up in looking for an angel that we will miss the shepherd. We will miss the gift. We will miss Jesus. Because Jesus most often comes to us in very ordinary ways. Second thing is this. We respond to the gift by doing two things, peace receiving and peace making. And, and those two are connected. So verses 13 and 14 say, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those upon whom his favor rests. So I don't have time to like go into it today, but a lot of times the way that that verse gets interpreted is just like peace to everything and the earth. And that's not what the angel says. It says peace to those on whom his favor rests. In other words, what the angels are declaring is that everyone who receives the gift, everyone who embraces God's grace will experience peace with God. Like their relationship with God will be characterized by peace. The Bible tells us in a number of places that before we embrace God's grace, that we are at war with God. I know that we don't think of it that way sometimes, but that's what scripture says, is that before we embrace God's grace, we are at war with God. We are fighting, with, we are fighting God over who is really in control of our lives and who's calling shots and all of that. And we're fighting with God over whether we even need his grace, whether we need a savior, whether we need a rescuer, or whether we can be our own saviors because of our own morality or whatever it is, like we're fighting with God. But when we embrace God's grace and make him Lord, the fighting stops and we are at peace with God. That's what the angel is declaring. Now, here's the point that we sometimes miss. People who are at peace with God 
should do everything possible to also be at peace with everyone else in their lives. Like in other words, we are not just called to be peace receivers, we are called to be peace makers. Uh, Paul says it this way, this way in Romans 12. If it's possible, as, lo- as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like I know it's not possible and sometimes it's out of your hands, but as much as it's in your control, live at peace with everyone. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are peace receivers and not peace makers. Like they claim to be at peace with God and maybe talk a lot about being at peace with God and their relationship with God and all that, but they are still at war with other people. They're at war with their spouse or they're at war with their kids or they're at war with their parents or they're at war with their in-laws or they're at war with uh, anyone who believes something different that they believe or anyone who votes in a different way that they vote or anyone who behaves in a different way that they behave. In fact, some of them will probably be, you'll probably be opening presents with this just tomorrow. Like, that's just probably the case. And don't look at them right now. Like, that's not good. But uh, I saw someone like, you know, like an obvious elbow. Like, you know, I want other people to see this as well. And, uh, but you know, like they're in our lives, right? And, and, uh, and Christmas like brings, Christmas forces us to all come together. Like it forces us to be together with folks that sometimes at some level, we're kind of at war with even though we are at peace with God. And Paul says, that's not the way it should be. He's saying that if you are a peace receiver, you should also be a peacemaker. He's saying, I know it doesn't all depend on you, but you should be doing absolutely everything you can within your power to be at peace with everyone in your life, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your enemies. Within your power, do everything you can to be at peace. Don't just be a peace receiver. It's awesome that we're peace receivers. It's awesome that the grace of God allows us to be at peace with God. That's awesome. That's incredible. But what we're being reminded of in scripture is don't just be a peace receiver. Like be a peace keeper. Be a peacemaker as well. And then the third thing is this. We respond to the gift by fearing not, right? When the angel first appears to the shepherds, the angel says, don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid, which is oftentimes what angels say because they're kind of scary showing up, I think. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then the angel explains what all that good news is. In other words, the angel is saying to these shepherds, I know you have a lot to be afraid of. Like, I get it. I know you have a lot to be afraid of. You're out here in the middle of the night. You're protecting the sheep from all kinds of predators. And that must be kind of frightening in and of itself. And usually the shepherds were teenagers, which probably made it even more frightening, maybe for the sheep. I don't know. But anyway, like I get it. He's saying, I know that it's kind of scary. And then an angel of the Lord shows up in the middle of the night. And that's probably pretty scary as well. But the angel is saying, what I'm about to tell you is not only going to help you deal with the fears that maybe you have in this moment, but it's gonna help you deal with all of your fears. And then the angel tells them about this savior who heals our broken relationship with God and gives them a reason to fear not. Now, the reality is uh, all of us deal with fear, right? I mean, we just all at some level deal with fear. And most of that fear is rooted 
in the brokenness that Jesus actually came to earth to heal. I mean, most of the fear that we deal with is rooted in brokenness that is the reason the incarnation took place. Like we're afraid of rejection and failure because we've somehow become convinced that our self-worth is rooted in our accomplishments and how people view us. And so we become slaves to what people think. We become slaves to our most recent performance that if the performance is good, we feel good about ourselves. If the performance is not so good, we don't feel good about ourselves, that our self-worth gets tied to all of that. If we're constantly getting affirmation from others, like if we're not constantly getting affirmation from others, then we kind of die on the inside because our self-worth is like so wrapped up. But in Christ, even though the fear of rejection and failure may never completely go away this side of heaven, I just think that's part of living in a broken, sinful world, is that we will never fully kind of get over the fear of rejection and the fear of failure and all of that. But... It's muted by the fact that your true identity is now rooted, it's not rooted in what people think or what you accomplish, it's rooted in what God thinks and rooted in what God has accomplished for you on the cross. And that changes the way that we see ourselves. We're afraid of the future because we desperately want to control it. Like we all wanna control the future, but we can't. And if there's anything the last two years has taught us, it's taught us that. Like if we had any kind of naive thoughts that I think I can kind of, I can kind of determine how this thing's going to go. Like the last two years, and maybe not just about the pandemic, maybe other stuff that's happened in your life has like proved, no, 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 I'm not in control. Like that is very clear. I can't control it. We're afraid of bad things happening that are outside of our control. We're afraid that, Things may not end up the way that we hoped that they would end up or that we dreamed that they would end up. But in Christ, those fears are muted. Not that they you know, go away entirely, but they're muted by embracing the reality that, that you're not in control, but you're in relationship with the one who is in control. And that will cause you to trust a little bit more. It'll cause you to worry a little bit less because you know that no matter what happens, it's gonna be all right. I, I feel like someone just needs to hear that day. No matter what happens, no matter what has happened, it's gonna be all right. Like it's going to be all right. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're not gonna be destroyed. You still have a bright future. No matter what has happened, no matter what has gone down in Christ, you're not abandoned, you're not alone, you're not destroyed. You still have a bright, bright, bright future. We're afraid of death because we're afraid of losing all the things that we love, all the things that we care about. And our way of dealing with that fear is usually not just to think, it's just to not think about it. Like, it's just like we live our lives pretending like we will never die. Like, it's just like, no, don't talk about that, you know? Because we all know if you ignore something, it doesn't exist, right? Like, just ignore it, and it's not there. But in Christ, those fears are muted by the fact that not even death itself can separate us from the love of God. In Christ, death has lost its power. In Christ, death has lost its sense of finality. In Christ, death has been swallowed up. By life. And that's why the angel told the shepherds, don't be afraid. Fear not. Because he was bringing good news of a gift that would overwhelm 
all of their fears. He was bringing good news of a gift that would penetrate the darkness of the night, physically and spiritually. There's a reason that uh, candle lighting has become such a tradition at Christmas. The reason it's part of our service whenever it's possible. It's because the world is filled with a lot of darkness. And Christmas is about a gift that overcomes the darkness. And not just like the darkness out there. Like sometimes we externalize this and it's like, yeah, the world is a really dark place and yeah, it really needs the light. Those people out there really need the light of the gospel. But it's not just about piercing the darkness out there. It's about piercing the darkness in here. Like the brokenness of our own soul. The darkness of our own soul. And all of us need that gift. Like, you're going to get some gifts tomorrow that you don't need and, and you don't want, probably. And maybe some of them you don't even like. And, uh, and you know the drill. It's like, you'll go, this is awesome. <laughs> this is the best gift I've ever received. Wow, you really hit it this year. But we'll get lots of gifts and some will be great and some won't be, but this is a gift. This is the gift that everybody needs. The gift that comes to us in the most common of ways the gift that calls us to be gift receivers and, or to be peace receivers and peacemakers. The gift that overcomes all of our fears. And the gift that not only penetrates the darkness out there, but penetrates the darkness in our souls. So the question is like, have you received the gift? It's a question I've been asking all this month. Like almost every time we've come together as a church, it's like, have you received? I mean, when you look at really where you are spiritually and do an inventory of all of that, like have you received the gift? Have you received this gift that was rejected so that you could be accepted, so that you could experience forgiveness and grace and a clean slate and a fresh start and all the things that come with the gift. Have you received the gift? I want you just to bow your heads uh, for a moment and uh, close your eyes. And um, those of you that are watching online, you know, just, just kind of take a posture of just reflection and quietness, whatever that means, where you are. And if you want to receive the gift, that's a great thing about a gift. It's just about receiving it. If you want to receive the gift, if you want to receive this forgiveness, this grace, this 
opportunity to start afresh and anew. If you wanna receive the gift, I want you just to raise your hand. Just put your hand up and say, I wanna receive the gift. I wanna receive the gift. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, just put your hand, don't be scared. Yeah, just put your hands up. No one's looking. Yeah, that's fantastic. I wanna receive the gift. If you're watching online, maybe in the chat, you just, if you wanna receive the gift, just say, just say that. Just, I wanna receive the gift. God, we are so thankful for this gift. We are so thankful for a gift that comes to us in such ordinary ways and calls us to be peace receivers and peacemakers and overcomes our fears and brings light in the dark spaces of our life. And Lord, we are so thankful for those that have already received the gift. And I'm so thankful for those who just had the courage and the boldness to say, yeah, I want to receive the gift. (laughs) Why would I not want to receive this gift? So I say yes to this gift. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a marker. Somehow you would mark this in their lives that Christmas Eve, 2021, that 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 was the moment, that was the time that they said yes to the gift. And we give you thanks for all of that in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.